The most disputed 35 acres of land in the entire world is in the heart of Jerusalem, the most holy site to the Jewish people and the third holiest site to the Muslim community. UNESCO, Islam, and others claim Israel has no right there. But God said over 37 times, I shall put my name there. Join me today as we look at Bible history, world history, current events, and Bible prophecy to understand the status quo of the Temple Mount on this edition of The End Time Show. Hello and welcome everybody to the End Time Show. I'm Doug Norvell and I've got a good program I think for you today. I'm excited about it. I uh, began to kind of work on this yesterday because I saw some articles about some things that were going on there in Israel and got me excited. Uh, We've been talking about the Israel tour that's coming up in October again and uh, been running the commercial and it's got me wanting to go back. And so today I thought we'd go down this journey and look at some relevant things that are going on there uh, right now and um, like I said the other day, Vince and his family are still out on vacation. Vince will be back with me next week, and uh, so we'll we'll be back as a team again. But today, I'm going to jump into this because um, I just feel like it's really relevant, and it's a it's always a great thing to talk about Israel. Israel's kind of close to our heart here at End Time Ministries, and it was close to uh, Pastor Baxter's heart, and he loved Israel and the people of Israel so much, and so uh, we do too, and so. Let's just go ahead and we'll, we'll jump right in and get into this today. So it's located in the heart of Jerusalem. There's an area known as the Temple Mount. Uh, it's actually Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is. And this is believed to be the same mountain that Abraham took Isaac and prepared to offer him up to the Lord. And we can find that in Genesis chapter 22. Verse 2 says, And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. This is also where David purchased the threshing floor of Arana to build the altar uh, for offering a burnt offering to the Lord because David had sinned against God. If you remember, uh, David numbered the people of Israel and God came to uh, to David and he Uh, or he sent his prophet to David and the prophet told David that he had sinned against God and that there was going to be a consequence for that. And uh, David chose three days of famine, but it it killed so many people there in Israel that he was asking God, what must he do? And so this is found in 2 Samuel um, 24. It's uh, it's a lot there to read, but I'm going to read just a small part of it today. So 2 Samuel 24, verse 24 says, And the king said unto Arana, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed from Israel. So according to the Bible, this is also the place where Solomon built the first temple of the Lord. So remember that David 
um, you know, lived there in the city of David. David wanted to build the temple, but God told David that he had too much blood on his hands and that David was not going to be able to build the house of God. And so uh, he allowed David's son Solomon to do this. And this is found in Second Chronicles. We're going to kind of look through the Old Testament a lot right here at the first of this. And so... Um, Second Chronicles 3 verse 1 says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in the Mount Moriah. So once again we see it's called Mount Moriah. That's the mountain we're talking about. Where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Okay, so... Right away, I know there's probably people that are saying, wait a second, I thought it was Arana, and now we're seeing Ornan. What's going on here? Well, Arana and the name Ornan are both from the Hebrew root word, meaning to be strong. And it appears as though, like many other people in the Bible, he had two variations of his name. For example, we had Simon Peter, who was also known as Cephas. So uh, Arana and Ornan was a Jebusite that owned this threshing floor located on Mount Moriah. Um, So just real quick, talking about that threshing floor, you know, when you talk about that and and you know what that is, that is an area that they used where they threshed the the wheat and the oats and things like that. And then uh, they would uh, take the the large pitchfork type things and, and toss Uh, the chaff up in the air and the wind would kind of take that chaff away so just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on there and um, you you kind of have a good idea of what a threshing floor is for those of you that might not know what that is so this is also the place where God chose to put his name and like I said he he said 37 different times in the Old Testament, this is where he would put his name. It's actually more than that. I've got a list, so if anybody would like to have a list, as always, if if you want any part of our notes, uh, Dave or, or mine and Vince's, or um, if you just want to see where the articles are, you can always email us. We'll be happy to send you the notes from our program so that you can kind of see where we get our information, and you can also have that if you're doing a study along with it where you want the scriptures, because we both put the scriptures within the notes so you can find those. But I have that set aside where I've got at least 37 different scriptures where God says this. But I'm just going to look at a few of them today. So Second Kings uh, chapter 21, verse 4. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord said in Jerusalem, I will put my name. And then in Second Chronicles 6, 5 says, Since the day that I brought forth my people out of the land of Egypt, I chose no city among all the tribes of Israel to build the house in, that my name might be there, neither chose I any man to be the ruler over my people in Israel. Then you look at 6, verse 6 says, But I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name might be there, and have chosen David to be over my people Israel. So at the dedication of Solomon's temples, uh, Solomon's temple, I'm sorry, Scripture tells us this in Second Chronicles 7, 1 through 4. In Second Chronicles 7, starting with verse 1, it says, Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the house. 
And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord, saying, He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifices before the Lord. All right, when we get back, we'll look more into this. And uh, we're just going to really study this out in the Old Testament and see that we're talking about Mount Moriah, which is the Temple Mount. Stay with me. A voice spoke to me and said, I've got something I want to show you. I was so sure God had talked to me. And I was stunned on what I saw. A direct fulfillment of this over 2,500-year-old prophecy. The United States will stand with Israel. Why haven't I ever seen this before? One-third of humanity will die. What do these beasts symbolize? The lion, the bear, the leopard. The combined beast from Revelation 13 represents the end-time government of the Antichrist. Understanding the end time. Now available for pre-order at endtime.com slash ABC. Go to endtime.com slash ABC or call 800-END-TIME. Are you ready for an extraordinary journey to the region that is the focus of more end-time Bible prophecy than any other? Well, look no further. Join us on an unforgettable journey to Israel. Our adventure begins down in Jerusalem where we will teach on the Mount of Olives, sing at the Garden of Gethsemane, walk down through the Kidron Valley, then we'll make our way north, have a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee while visiting Joppa, Mount Carmel, baptize in the Jordan River, and so much more. Don't miss out on this incredible trip to Israel. Spaces are limited. Book your tour today. Visit endtime.com slash tour or call us at 1-800-END-TIME. Join us for an experience that you will never forget. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning end time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. I'm kind of came in a little late there because I enjoy that bass riff on that <laughs> that intro there. Um, what we're talking about today, we're talking about Mount Moriah and we're talking about the uh, mountain with God's name on it, the place with God's name on it there. And so it's very interesting. We, we've been talking about Mount Moriah through this whole first segment there. And one of the things that we need to understand is this is a place where there was always talked about 
uh, sacrifice and offerings going on there. So from the time that Abraham took Isaac, and I'm assuming that everybody probably knows that story very well about Abraham being obedient to God and uh, God called him to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and to offer him as a burnt offering there. And um, as as he did this and prepared everything and made a way, um, you know, Isaac didn't really realize what was going on, but Abraham... Um, he believed the whole time that God was going to provide a um, substitute there, that he was not going to have to sacrifice Isaac when he got there. He even told the people that stayed down with the, the mules that um, me and the lad will go up and we shall return. Um, I just believe that Abraham had faith knowing that God didn't deliver this promised son just to take him away from him like that. And so when they get up there, uh, he gets everything prepared and even, um, you know, had Isaac tied up and everything and was ready to um, to do this offering. And um, the voice from heaven said, do not touch the boy. And he showed him the ram that was trapped there in the thicket. And he uh, he gave this sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And so um, wonderful story. But we, we also see um, that this is the place where there's always been worship. There's always been uh, sacrifice. There's always been offering. And so this has been something um, that has been uh, in the history of the Hebrew people since the beginning of, of the Bible in Genesis, since the, the beginning of the creation there, starting with Abraham. And we've worked our way down through time and we looked at how David bought the threshing floor of Iran and how he offered up an offering there and an altar to God and then how his son uh, came and began to build his temple. Uh, King Solomon built the temple there. The first temple stood there. And now we're talking about how uh, the Lord said this is a place where he would put his name. And so right before the break, we ran, we read over a couple of scriptures there. Now we're going to continue that. And I want to show you something that's kind of incredible. And, and I think you'll get a kick out of it. So um, we're looking at Second Chronicles seven sixteen. now. It says, For now... Have I chosen and uh, sanctified this house that my name may be there forever? Okay, so that's what God is saying. So let me show you something really interesting here. I want to show you um, what is actually a Hebrew symbol for God. It's called the shin. So let's look at that first. So this is called the shin, and this is a symbol that means the name of God. Okay, and this is a Hebrew uh, symbol. Now, I want to show you another picture that shows the valleys around the Temple Mount there. If you can see this, we're showing a, uh, like a topographical view of the Temple Mount there. And you can see Mount Zion. You see Mount Moriah. This is all like a, a mountainous region there. But these are two separate peaks. And Mount Zion is where the city of David is. Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is. But if you see, you can see where the Kidron Valley and the other valleys kind of come up into there. Uh, there's the Hinnom Valley, the Rephaim uh, Valley, the Kidron Valley, and those three kind of run in there, and they make this symbol just in the topographical of the valleys that come up into the Temple Mount. Then with the, the little dot that is over it would be where the temple stood. So it's it's cool to see that. Don't know if that really has 
any significance to it or not, but it is interesting and it's fun to look at that. Um, so anyway, that's just something I wanted to pass along if you've never seen that before. And that symbol also is a symbol that you'll see a lot when you go to Israel because uh, on every door uh, they have um, a, um, oh, I can't even think of what it's called right now, but um, they they have the uh, little thing on there that has the scripture in there that's Deuteronomy 6, 4 that says, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. It's um, they on every doorpost and they run their hand up there. A mezuzah is exactly right. Thank you. Uh, They're telling me in my ear the word I couldn't think of. A mezuzah is on every door and it has that symbol on there. So that same symbol meaning uh, God, that is the name of God on there. So it's just an interesting, fun fact. Uh, You can take that with a grain of salt if you want to. That's all right with me, but I just wanted to share it. So uh, anyway, Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. This happened around 587 B.C. And you can read about that in 2 Kings um, chapter 25. And then the second temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And that is in Daniel 9.26. We talk about that quite a bit here uh, when we discuss the Temple Mount and the things about that. So we've looked at the Old Testament. We've seen proof that Mount Moriah is the, the place known as the Temple Mount. Now, we're going to jump ahead now to 1948. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. I just want to kind of give a little bit of information about it. But we believe here that Ezekiel's prophecy of the dry bones, in our opinion, is Ezekiel seeing the Holocaust and then the rebirth of the nation of Israel. And this is found in Ezekiel 37. Um, I'm not going to take us there right now uh, because I don't have time to read all of it, but we believe as Ezekiel began to see the bones come to life and uh, the bones get muscle and then skin and become strong again, that 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 was God showing uh, Ezekiel that there would be a rebirth of Israel and that those that had been cast out would come home. So... um, Everybody should really go back and read that chapter sometime because it's a fascinating chapter. And, of course, it's right there before the Battle of Armageddon. You get to read 38 and 39 is uh, the Battle of Gog and Magog. So you can read that chapter, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, and you can judge for yourself if you believe that that's what uh, God is telling Ezekiel there. So on May 14th of 1948, in Tel Aviv, the Jewish agency chairman uh, David Ben Gurion proclaims the state of Israel established the first Jewish state in 2,000 years. So Ben Gurion became Israel's first prime minister. So this happened in uh, May 14, 1948. The next piece of this information uh, I'm going to read you comes from the Jewish Virtual Library.org. And it says that Jordan's desecration of Jerusalem from 1948 to 1967, soon after Israel declared its independence, the surrounding Arab states invaded. The Arab Legion of Jordan attacked Jerusalem. Their forces blocked Jerusalem's road, cut off the city's access to water. I read stories as I was researching some of this that people uh, had no water. They got so thirsty they would go down after it rained to find water. Um, But anyway, it says, After a bitter fighting, the Jewish quarter of Jerusalem's old city fell to a vastly superior arms and numbers of the Arab Legion on May 27th of 1948. Uh, So this is how the Arabs got control 
of that area, the Temple Mount and East Jerusalem and how they controlled all that up until 1967. The surviving Jewish inhabitants fled to the new city and the four-fifths of the capital that Israel successfully held. Nearly 20 years later, during the 1967 Six Days War, Israel's army liberated the old city, uh, finding the Jewish quarter completely neglected and much of it destroyed. All but one of the 35 synagogues within the city were destroyed. Those not completely devastated had been used as hen houses and stables filled with dung heaps, garbage, and carcasses. Now think about that. These were holy places to Israel. These were synagogues. And they just used them to put their livestock in and dung heaps. The uh, revered Jewish graveyard on the Mount of Olives was in complete disarray. Now when we go to Israel, we go to the Mount of Olives. That's where we start at. And you see all the graves that are there where people have been buried. And you, you look from there over to the Temple Mount and it's a gorgeous, beautiful area. But during this time when Jordan occupied that area, they tore those gravestones to pieces. And it says that thousands of the tombstones were broken and some of them were used as building materials to build roads and latrines. People's tombstones were used for that, folks. Large areas of the cemetery were leveled to provide a shortcut to a new hotel. Hundreds of Torah scrolls and thousands of holy books were plundered and burned to ashes. Things that they can't ever get back. Those those scrolls, you know, some of the scrolls that they found at the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were uh, in the Rockefeller Center, and the Jewish people couldn't even have access to those because the Jordanians uh, owned that area. They they couldn't even have access to those um, scrolls that they found in the Dead Sea area. So anyway, all this was going on, and you can you can kind of just see from what they did, uh, they were trying to destroy anything. Um, that had uh, anything to do with the Jewish people or uh, with their history. Jordan had control of East Jerusalem and and of the Temple Mount until 1967. And that's why they wanted to erase anything that had to do with the Jewish people. It's like they wanted to erase uh, their existence. And one of the things that you find when you go to Israel is they have to dig down in layers and layers because every time Israel was conquered, the enemy would do this. They would destroy what they had just make it into rubble and then build on top of that. And so there is level after level after level that they have to dig down in to find the things that they find. And we're going to look at a little bit more of that here in a little bit. But the Six-Day War, it changed all of that. And at 6.15 a.m. on June 7th, the Israeli military received orders to encircle the old city and the army was instructed to enter with a warning not to damage any of the holy places. And fortunately, the night before, most of the Jordanian troops had retreated. So when the paratroopers stormed the gate, that's the gate called the Lion's Gate, and they, they got there, they met no resistance. Uh, Colonel Mata Gur led this charge up to the Temple Mount, and he radioed headquarters at 10.08 a.m. The Temple Mount is in our hands, and our forces are by the Western Wall. It's kind of crazy because... When they got there, they were expecting this big fight, but God had already cleared the enemy out in the night. The Jordanians had retreated. They had run. They knew that Israel was coming, and they just they took off. And so 
um, it's it's very interesting. There's a great um, film out called Into Our Hands. If you've never seen that, I think you can actually go and see that on YouTube. But it's kind of like a documentary, but they also uh, do part of the documentary where they talk to some of the uh, paratroopers that are still alive that actually were the paratroopers that went in the Lionsgate that, that night. And then also... Uh, they put some actors in there and, and show you some of the way that uh, the war happened in doing it with actors. So it's a great it's a great film. You should check it out. It's called Into Our Hands. But at this point, Israel had control of all of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. And on June seventeenth, uh, nineteen sixty seven, that was about fifty six years ago, uh, the then Israeli Minister of Defense uh, Moshe Dayan solely made one of the most important and fateful decisions in the history of the state of Israel and the Jewish people. It's actually something that um, I'm sure a lot of Jewish people really regret at this point, but let me just tell you what it was. Just days after the end of this six-day war, uh, Dayan agreed to establish a new status quo regarding the Temple Mount, fearing open discussion about this uh, about his decision, his agreement was not uh, positively ratified by Israel's government on the day or by any government since then. So that day when he established this, he didn't run it through parliament, he didn't run it through the government, he just made this sole decision and it's not even been challenged since then. The thing is that uh, they did this to try to keep peace there. If you remember, we've, we've got um, in our series, our 1 through 14 series, we talk about uh, God's um, or Israel's prophetic destiny and how God's hand was on Israel. And we talk about that war, that 1967 war. And when they got up there, they wanted to put a, and, and they did temporarily put a Jewish flag out over, uh, I believe, the Dome of the Rock or the Al-Aska Mosque. I can't remember which one it was, but they put a flag out. And then um, their uh, defense minister told them, take it down immediately. They said, what are you trying to do? You're trying to set the entire Middle East ablaze right now. Well, then there was a rabbi along with them, and he had dynamite, and he wanted to blow up uh, the Muslim buildings there so that the Jews had full control over the Temple Mount. But to avoid having uh, the Third World War right after the Second World War happened, they decided, okay, what we're going to do is we're, we're going to create this status quo. And this status quo, this is what it does, just so everybody understands when they hear the word status quo. It allows only Muslims to pray or worship on the Temple Mount. The Jordanian Waf control um, the activities within the walls of the mount itself while Israel police are responsible for the external security and public order. So when we go up there, we always see both. You, you see the Israeli police who, um, they're the ones running around with the blue uniforms and they have the machine guns and everything. Those are the guys that uphold the order and they're responsible for um, the security of everything. But the Muslim Waf, You'll see them, and they're walking around. They're listening to what people's saying. They're watching to make sure you're not praying. They're making people wear things if you're exposing, um, you know, too much of your arms or legs or whatever. They give you like uh, a little uh, gown that you put over your clothes, and so they enforce those kind of things. And they're kind of in charge up there. Um, we're up against a break. When we come back, we're going to uh, continue on this journey through history and get us caught up with where we are today. Thank you. 
Understand how you fit in and be filled with hope in God's plan by watching the future according to Bible prophecy. Go to intime.com slash future or call 800 in time. That's 800-363-8463. Welcome back to the In Time Show. I'm Doug Norvell. Appreciate you joining me today. We're walking down through uh, the Temple Mount and, and through the history of the Old Testament, Mount Moriah and how it was established as uh, the Holy Temple of God and how God's uh, temple was built there. And now we're into um, the 1948-1967 situation with Israel, which brings us up to the status quo, talking about that a little bit. Um, and so when when you go there, you have to uh, be mindful of these things. You can't take anything like when you go on... Um, a tour of the Temple Mount. You can't take a Bible with you. You can't uh, appear to be praying or anything like that because, like I said, the Muslim waft, they're watching over everything and they uh, point these things out. And so it, this kind of brings me to why I wanted to do this program today. There was an article uh, that came out from the Jerusalem Post and um, there's a video that was released of some Jews performing a blessing on the Temple Mount and the, the title of this uh, video says that um, blessing of the Temple Mount sparks Palestinian outrage. And so I've got a little video clip. I just want you to see this. And you're not going to be able to understand what they're saying because of um, they're speaking Hebrew there. So you're not going to be able to understand what they're saying. But at least you can kind of get an idea of what was going on there. So let's take a look at that. Okay, so in that video, you just see them, they're, they're just doing a... Uh, what they call a blessing. And supposedly this is supposed to be uh, close to the Dome of the Rock. Now, 
I've been there. I'm not quite sure exactly where this was. I haven't seen a location that looks exactly like that. But if you can see the picture behind me on the screen behind me, you can see the Dome of the Rock there. And you see an area where there's trees and such growing there. Well, uh, that is there with inside the walls there of the Temple Mount. And so that could be where this took place. I'm not real sure. But anyway, the, the article says that while Jewish prayer... Uh, has been conducted quietly on the Temple Mount since 2019. Now, remember, before 2019, nobody was allowed to pray there at all. Uh, but they've, they've kind of let that go a little bit, and they've let Jews quietly come up since 2019 and pray. Now, some people in the past have pretended to be on their cell phone, or they've dropped a coin on the ground and reached over to pick it up, and they've been down, and they're saying a prayer and things like that. But this video, um, you know, it shows like this is a public prayer going on. It's actually, you know, more than one person praying. So um, the video of Jewish visitors on the Temple Mount performing this priestly blessing was published on social media on Tuesday, sparking outrage from the Palestinian movements. Now, remember right now, the Palestinians, uh, Vince and I did a story a couple of weeks ago where Iran is already in it said the Gaza Strip, and they're already uh, recruiting young Palestinian uh, boys to uh, be part of their terror organizations. And they've been funding and taking weapons to uh, the Palestinians in the Hamas groups in that area for quite a while. And so uh, tensions have kind of been high there in Gaza for a while anyway. But now this happens in, in these Palestinian movements. Folks are getting really upset. So the article goes on to say the, uh, the video is dated Sunday, was posted by a Palestinian news site. The source of the footage is unclear as to the, uh, the reason for waiting two days to publish it. So that was the video there. And the Jewish visitors to this Temple Mount, they're informed upon entry. When you come in, that prayer and religious items like I just talked about, uh, such as prayer books or prayer shawls or anything like that, those are forbidden in the complex. And although since late uh, 2019, the Jewish visitors have been able to pray quietly, including these priestly blessings um, on certain parts of the sites, relatively undisturbed, Since early last year, there have been occasions on which Jewish visitors have been, uh, they've been succeeding in prayer and singing out loud and even uh, managed to raise some Israeli flags. Now, that's kind of a big no-no there. And although many of these individuals were subsequently arrested, uh, while the High Court of Justice has ruled in the past that Jews uh, do have the legal right to pray on the Temple Mount, Police have cited security concerns to impose a blanket uh, prohibition on Jewish prayer, and although um, they have decreased the enforcement of that uh, since 2019. So despite these occurrences of such prayer since 2019, the video sparked outrage among the Palestinian political leaders and social media users on Tuesday, with Palestinian media casting the prayer as the first of its kind on the mount. The Hamas terror movement stated, we warn the occupation and its settlers against their continued discretion or desecration of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which will remain purely Islamic, and we will defend it by all available means. Now, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has repeatedly stressed that Israel is acting to maintain the status quo of the Temple Mount. So you've got these... Palestinian leaders, Palestinian 
uh, terror organizations all saying Israel doesn't have any right there. They're saying that they're occupying the ter- uh, territory and that they are settlers within this area as if all of this belongs to the Muslims or the Palestinian people. And remember, the only reason why the status quo has, uh, hasn't gotten Israel any favors from the international community uh, is because they, they say they're doing the status quo, but they go up there and they pray and they're kind of breaking this status quo thing. But uh, the international community, they don't care uh, for Israel either. And they've, they've proved that. And this is from a story from 2016. This is from um, the UNESCO group, which is the United Nation Educational, Scientific, and Cult- Cultural Organization uh, they voted in 2006 to a 24 to 6 vote that Judaism has no connection to the Temple Mount. UNESCO says no connection between the Temple Mount and Judaism. The Jerusalem Post uh, reported this on October 19th of 2016. Uh, this organization gave a preliminary approval to the resolution that denies Jewish ties to its most holy religious sites. So it's not just the Temple Mount. It's all the Jewish sites that are there, all the holy sites. It says that Judaism has no right to that, folks. This was a vote that happened in the UN, 24 to 6. Are y'all hearing me? In the Temple Mount and the Western Wall, they say they have no rights to that. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu slammed the voting that day, saying this is uh, this theater of the absurd continues at the UN. Today, UNESCO adopted its second decision this year denying the Jewish people's connection to the Temple Mount, our holiest site, for more than 3,000 years, he said. What's next? A UNESCO decision denying the connection between peanut butter and jelly? Batman and Robin? Rock and roll? Twenty-six nations abstained from the vote and two were absent. The six countries that voted in support of Israel were, of course, the United States, Great Britain, Lithuania, the Netherlands, Germany, and Estonia. So that was in 2006. And shortly uh, after that resolution passed, we began seeing videos by UNESCO and even by some who claim to be Christian come out saying the his- that history proved the Jewish temple would have never been built on the Temple Mount, but it would have been built within the city of David. It was as if they were saying, you know, um, Israel doesn't have a right to the Temple Mount at all and trying to take that away from Israel. And folks, that's just not true. We've already seen proof that the Temple Mount was on Mount Moriah and not Mount Zion. And you wouldn't put a threshing floor in the city because when you thresh, all that chaff would fly up into the city and it would pollute the city. All right, so that doesn't even make sense when you think about it uh, practically. But here's more proof, first from the Bible. So I want to look at Second Chronicles 5, uh, starting with verse 1. It says, Thus all the work that Solomon made for the house of the Lord was finished, and Solomon brought in all the things that David his father had dedicated, and the silver and the gold and all the instruments put he among the treasures of the house of God. Then Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of the fathers of the children of Israel and unto Jerusalem to bring up the Ark of the Covenant out 
of the Lord out of the city of David, which is in Zion. So it says they brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up out of the city of David, which is in Zion. Uh, Wherefore, all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto the king in the feast, which was in the seventh month. And all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark, and they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the uh, congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priest and the Levites bring up. Now you can read that same account in 1 Kings 8, 1 through 4. It talks about bringing the ark up out of the city of David to the temple mount. All right, But there's also been some pretty cool recent discoveries uh, that really help us put this to rest. And one of the discoveries is the Pilgrim's Road. Uh, this discovery on Jewish of uh, the Jewish Pilgrim's Road uh, proves that it was built uh, that it was built by the man who crucified Jesus. So let's look at this video quickly from YouTube. Call it the biblical superhighway the pilgrim's path that led to the Jewish temple in ancient times. The places and events and the peoples that make Jerusalem, Jerusalem. For Christians, for Jews, it all happened here in the city of David. This is where the beating heart of Jerusalem is. Okay, folks, sorry about that. We're not going to make that because of our break. It's a longer video than I thought it was. So anyway, we'll go back and look at that in a second. But I want you to understand that... um, UNESCO, they put out videos before a hand saying that the city of David was the place where the temple would have stood. When you go to Israel and you see where the city of David is, like I said before, you can see on the screen behind me, you see the Temple Mount, you see the retaining wall that Herod built. A lot of people say, well, uh, Jesus said that not one stone would be left on another. And then here's this wall, this wailing wall that they put the prayers in and things like that. Well, that wall wasn't part of the temple. That wall was actually a retaining wall that Herod built when he uh, beautified the second temple. So he came in and he made it even better than it was before and added to um, this retaining wall. And that's what you see there. But when you go to the Temple Mount and you're standing up there, you see the stones that were thrown down. They still are excavating areas there. And you see stones that were thrown down from the temple and they're laying all along the ground. One of the things that uh, was fascinating to me that we saw when we went the first time I went in 2017 was our tour guide told us there when we were standing there, he showed us where the spot where the trumpeting stone was found. And the trumpeting stone is the stone that would have been at the top of the temple and it would have been where the trumpeters would sound uh, the shafars to bring everybody in for worship. And that stone was actually found right there in 1968 when they began to excavate the Temple Mount. They found the stone setting right there where it looked like it would have been cast right off of the temple onto the ground. Now when you go to Israel, you can go to museums and you can see uh, the stone itself is in a museum. I think on the Temple Mount, they might even have a replica of that stone. But in the museum itself there in Israel, they have that stone. So, folks, when we come back from the break, we'll jump right on that video. I want you to see that because it's very important. Got a lot of great history in that. And we'll also try to wrap this up with where we're going to be prophetically in the future with the Temple Mount and the Third Temple. Hi, I'm Judy Baxter. When Irvin and I got married, we didn't realize that our calling 
would be a prophetic ministry. Since we started End Time Ministries, there have been many times we weren't sure how we would pay the bills, but God has always provided. We started with the magazine, then went on radio and TV, and now we have the Jerusalem Prophecy College in Israel and online with End Time Plus. The mission has always been to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and the End Time message. Through the years, my husband would say, we will see revival like never before in the last days. We are living in the end time now. Thank you for walking this journey with us and continuing in prayer. You are a part of the team. Thank you for your generous support. It is necessary for God's purpose. The most important thing is that you are ready when the Lord comes. Our hope is to help prepare you for that day. God bless you and we love you. Welcome back to the End Time Show. I'm Doug Norvell. It's great to have you with me today. I uh, am walking us through this Temple Mount situation, and I want to show you a video here now that we were going to try to show before the break. It shows the recent discovery that was made of the Pilgrim's Road. Now, folks, watch this and pay special attention to what they talk about and where this road goes to and from. Call it the biblical superhighway the pilgrim's path that led to the Jewish temple in ancient times. The places and events and the peoples that make Jerusalem, Jerusalem, for Christians, for Jews, it all happened here in the city of David. This is where the beating heart of Jerusalem is. We're talking about the Pool of Siloam. We're talking about Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount. We're talking about the city of David. The pilgrimage road links them all together. For Jews in ancient days, their pilgrimage began here at the Pool of Siloam. It's a mikveh or ritual bath. It's the size of two Olympic swimming pools. They would purify themselves here before going up to the Temple Mount to worship God. The historian Josephus says that 2,000 years ago on the pilgrimage festivals, there would have been more than 2 million people going up on pilgrimage. That's a lot of people who need to bathe. The pool is also where Jesus healed the blind man as recounted in the book of John. Its location was hidden by a road until 15 years ago when a sewage leak led to excavations, the discovery of the pool, and much more. The archaeologists, when they find the Pool of Siloam, so they understand if that's the pool, and they know where the temple stood on the Temple Mount some 2,000 years ago, the same Temple Mount is today. Zev Orenstein with the City of David Foundation says archaeologists wondered how the pilgrims traveled from the pool to the Temple Mount. So the archaeologists widen the excavation, and we are standing on the very answer to that question. We are standing atop the ancient pilgrimage road. These are the stones that Jesus would have walked on on his way up to the temple. And now the significance of the excavation of the pilgrimage road is that for the first time in 2,000 years, visitors will be able to walk all the way from the Pool of Siloam up to the Western Wall. The word in the Bible, the Hebrew words, is aliyah regel or mm-hmm. ole regel. Now, what we understand that to mean is it's a spiritual ascent. You're going up to the temple, yeah. going to Jerusalem. It's a very holy place. But, Chris, when you're in the place where the Bible happened, the words of the Bible come to life. Because as we're walking right now, and I'm sure you could feel it, mm-hmm. we're walking uphill. And it was more than that. This would have been like Times Square. You would have had on both sides of the road. And keep in mind, the road is about three, four, five times wider than what we see 
over here. You would have had shops, stalls along both sides of the road. This is the center of Jerusalem from a spiritual perspective, from a communal perspective, also from a, a commerce perspective. According to the Israel Antiquities Authority, the road took 10 years to build from 20 to 30 A.D. and was constructed by Pontius Pilate. Along the route, you can see many places where the road remains intact and others where it's destroyed given its violent history. We know that the Romans, they destroyed Jerusalem. And if you would find everything perfectly intact, well, it wouldn't seem like much of a destruction. Among the discovered treasures are small coins minted during the Great Jewish Revolt before the Romans destroyed the temple and Jerusalem in 70 AD. Scholars often wonder why the Jews made worthless coins instead of weapons. Orenstein has the answer. Jews of Jerusalem understood that the Romans were likely going to destroy the city. Hmm. But they also believed that one day in the future, their descendants would return and find these coins. And they would know what their ancestors lived and died for, for a free Jerusalem. And here we are nearly 2,000 years later, standing along the very same pilgrimage road here in the city of David. In Jerusalem, the capital of the Jewish state of Israel. The city of David hopes the entire pilgrimage road, all the way from the Pool of Siloam to the Western Wall, will be open to the public within a few years. That will give visitors a first-hand experience of what it was like to worship God in the time of Jesus. Now, folks, isn't God so cool how he just reveals that? Did you hear that that happened because of a sewage leak is how they found all that. Now, in 2017, they had already discovered this, but the the road wasn't being excavated yet, but the Pool of uh, Siloam was. And we got to go down there and, and see that at that point because that was a newly discovered area. Well, this year when we went back, they're still, that's all in construction because they they're doing digs right there right now where they're digging all that out. And they were doing that when we went this year. And you can see the the area where that road's going to be and um, it's all glassed in and you can see where the the entrance is going to be and you'll eventually get to go in there and actually Dave Robbins got to go he got a special tour one time when he got to go uh, with our guide where it was just our guide and Dave I think got to go in there and at least see part of it uh, where they had already begun to do some of the excavation but anyway it's remarkable and one day it's going to be completely done I'm sure where they're going to be able to walk all the way up to the Temple Mount but you see how significant this find is because it proves that this is the pool where people did the ritual cleansing and then they ascended up to the Temple Mount. They went up to the house of the Lord. Um, so it's very scriptural of what that's talking about. And they mentioned that this is the place where Jesus would have healed the blind man. He put the mud on the blind man's eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man went down to wash. And so that's where that would have taken place too. It's pretty incredible. It's pretty awesome when you think about what God does and how he reveals these things. But this happened around the same time that there was this big push to prove Israel had no right there. So anyway, I'm, I'm going to keep moving because um, we're, we just need to move. I got a lot of material that we're probably not going to get to today. And unfortunately, I'm sorry about that. But let's now that we see this proof. So we've got proof of the Old Testament, proof of the word of God, where we see that the Temple Mount was on Mount Moriah and that we were told to take the Ark of the Covenant out of the city of David up to uh, the Temple Mount. And now we see this video footage of this great story here. So what happens next? Let's look at uh, what the Bible says about the future of this Temple Mount. So the Bible tells us in Revelation 
chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. It says uh, that there won't only be a physical temple there, but the Dome of the Rock and the Alaska Mosque will also be able to remain there. So let's look at what that scripture says. Revelation 11, 1 and 2. And there was given me a reed likened to a rod, and an angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar, and them that worship therein. So folks, you're looking at there's a temple of God, there's an altar, and there's worshipers there. All right, so this is the future. Remember, this is Revelation, the part that is after, uh, write down the things that must be hereafter. So John is writing the prophetic things that are going to happen. But then it says, But the court which is without the temple, leave out and measure it not, for it is given unto the Gentiles, and the holy city shall uh, they tread underfoot for forty and two months. So this is letting us know that's how we understand that there's going to be a sharing arrangement there. And you may say with, with all this hate toward the Jewish people and the fact that no one else can worship on this temple mount except Muslims, how do we get there? Well, President Trump's Peace for Prosperity plan, also known as the Abraham Accord, it included sharing of the Temple Mount by all faiths. It said that everyone had the right to respectfully worship there. And this is something that has been talked about for a long time. Remember uh, that President Clinton talked about sharing this uh, when they had the Camp David um, meetings. And he, he said, why don't you guys just share it? Didn't even understand what he was saying, but that's in Scripture. Share that Temple Mount. So part of the plan's already in motion with the Arab nations that are making peace with Israel and declaring the normalization of diplomatic relationship with Israel. The United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Morocco, and potentially Sudan. Sudan's kind of had some civil war things going on, and so it's kind of like a standoffish thing right now. But... This is one of the ways that we believe that peace treaty will be ushered in, is we believe that sixth trumpet war that kills one-third of mankind, that that will lead to this peace agreement in the Middle East. Because after a war that devastates so many and kills so many people, people are going to be crying out for peace. They're going to be wanting peace. And we actually have one of our studies is World War III, the entrance ramp to the Antichrist, because we believe that that war is what will spark this peace agreement. So let's look at the peace agreement now. It's found in Daniel 9.27. And it says, And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate, even until the consummation and that that is determined shall be poured upon the desolate. So right there we see that there's going to be a confirmation of the covenant. Well, that covenant is the Abrahamic covenant, that Israel has the right to exist in that area, in that land. That's what that covenant will be about. And it says that this covenant is going to be made with many. There's going to be many people that are going to agree with this. And um, they're going to uh, allow Israel to have a temple on that temple mount. Israel's going to be able to start those sacrifices like Revelation 1 and 2, uh, 11, 1 and 2 told us because the he there, the Antichrist, stops the sacrifice in the middle of that. Okay, so that's how we understand all that. Now, the Apostle Paul also tells us there's going to be a temple in the times just before the day of the Lord and the gathering of God's people into heaven. So that's found in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
starting with verse 1 through 4. It says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or by tro- be troubled neither by spirit nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, and that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. So, This is the revealing of that Antichrist when he stops those animal sacrifices and sets up the worship of himself there. So that's the abomination of desolation. So we have all this biblical proof. We also see um, Israel's getting ready to build her third temple. Every year when we go to Israel, we go to uh, the Temple Institute. And there they have all the clothing, the utensils, and even a replica of the Ark of the Covenant. And we also know that there's a possibility that um, they're going to have a red heifer for the first time in 2,000 years. Now, they believe that they have to have a red heifer in order to uh, be uh, cleaned, um, spiritually cleaned, so that they can go up there on that temple mount. And so that's something that, you know, we've seen in the past. Byron Stinson is a man here from Texas that Dave's interviewed, and he is the one that found the red heifers that have been sent over there. They've sent uh, five, and I think four of them are still eligible, and they're still looking at that. So where is this all going to come together to? And i got to move quickly because we are running out of time, so let's get there. Zechariah 14, 1 through 5. The Battle of Armageddon, this is when the world community comes down against Israel uh, to defeat Israel and try to take away Jerusalem and the Temple Mount from Israel. And this is what it says, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. It also says, folks, that all of his uh, people will come with him. When, when Jesus comes back, the saints will come with Jesus to the Mount of Olives. So if you want to be included in that and be one of the saints of God that come back with Jesus to the Battle of Armageddon, then you need to make sure that you're biblically born again and that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. To do that, go to endtime.com reborn. Thanks for joining me. I'll see you next week. Have a great week. <laughs> 